as Justin said, our first reading is Psalm 146, um, from these books at the end of your pews, it's page 950, uh, no, 508, 509 in my book, 509 in mine, um, Psalm 146, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the Lord of God, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. And from the New Testament, we're reading from Luke 6, verse 17 to 23, on, again, page 837 um, of the Bibles at the end of the pews. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Awkward. James, you were there this morning at Paul's baptism and Joshua's baptism. It's great to be there. Hey, uh, we were hoping to get a, a speaker today uh, from Perth, but he uh, came down with COVID. That must look funny on live stream. <laughs> uh, so he couldn't come, and so this week uh, Emma and I sort of hastily got together and said, well, what should we do since we've got a friend who couldn't be here? And uh, I suggested we should do a sort of rationale for the City Care Ministries, uh, in part because we've got one coming up on June 19, and maybe the application of this talk is just to mark June 19 in your calendar um, as a, a ministry to the homeless, whatever capacity you can help. And it might not be turning up, but it might be turning up, but maybe one of the applications of this talk was just to mark June 19 in your calendars uh, as we move forward in that space. Uh, but the other reason for doing this rationale for our city care ministries, which I'll explain in a moment, is that the last verse of the text for last week is Galatians 2 verse 10, and it's quite important 
in this space, lends itself to this message. Let me pray. Father, by the power of your spirit, give to those who are hurting an anchor for their souls. Give us Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And so my text today is Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, the final verse of last week's text. It goes like this. All they asked, James, Peter and John, was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now there's context to this verse. Paul has been preaching the gospel to non-Jews, to the nations, and it's a gospel of grace. God has rescued us from the present evil age by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's a gospel of freedom. You don't have to obey Torah. And uh, Paul checked this out with the reputed leaders in, in uh, Israel. And they just said, you know, are you preaching Jesus? Yep. I'm doing freedom. Yep. Grace. Yep. Okay. Thumbs up. You're doing the right thing. Go ahead, Paul. Keep doing it. We'll go to the Jews. You go to the Gentiles. The only thing we're asking for you to do is to remember the poor. And Paul says, thumbs up. That's what I wanted to do all along. So there it is, the context of that verse. But I want to talk about this verse in the context of our ministry. There's a myriad of ways in which we can do just this, to continue to remember the poor and to be eager to do so all along. And we're going to explore how to do this as a church and focus in a little bit on our city care ministries. The old prayer book has a number of magnificent prayers, and this is one of them goes like this, and we most humbly beseech thee of thy goodness, O Lord, to comfort and succor all those who in this transitory life, and it is transitory, all those who are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity. This evening, I want to talk about how God might hear that prayer and use us as an answer to it, at least for some people among us. One of the groups that we reach out to is the homeless, the marginalised, the rough sleepers, lonely people, often in public housing, who find it hard to keep down a job for various reasons. They are people who feel downtrodden, who are downtrodden, often through trauma, historic or present, domestic violence, addiction, mental health, sometimes a cocktail of all of these, and they end up being unsettled. Their boats feel rocky. In other words, they are trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, and many other adversities. And they're here, right here in the city, where we are. It's one of the first things I noticed when I got here. Charles Spurgeon once said of the city, he was speaking in the 18th century, but he said, it is full of noise and din and, and stir and bustle and sore travail, many other temptations, losses, and worries. They used to call Hickson Road just down here to the north of us, now very wealthy, of course, they used to call it the Hungry Mile. Uh, men lined up from miles in the hope of finding work on the docks, and even when they got work, they were mistreated by bad work laws and safety and, and uh, mistreatment, something, of course, that the union movement has, and, and other, other things have helped us with in creating a more just society. That's where we are. The idea of being here in the city, even though we're not in the 19th century, is still pretty um, aggressive at points. George MacDonald wrote a poem called What Christ Said, and it was quite important to me, this poem, when we started 
my wife and I started to get into city ministry in New York City, and then we picked up the same mode, which is why we took up the role here uh, 13 years ago uh, here in the CBD of Sydney. And although today's city is very, 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 very different to any city in the 19th century, this poem still helped me. So, you know, I'm about to read poetry, so get your culture on. I love this. To Jesus, I said, let me walk in the fields. He said, nay, walk in the town. Let me walk in the suburbs. No, choosing the city. Let me walk in the fields. He said, nay, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the sky is black. There is nothing but noise and din. But he wept as he sent me back. There is more, he said, there is sin. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. I cast one look at the field. Then I set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he. And I walk in a light divine, the path I had feared to see. So off he goes to city ministry. And we're here in the city, albeit very modern, relatively comfortable, and with a safety net of sorts, a safety net of course, through the change in government over the last hundred years, well, thousand years really, as we've uh, developed in, in this space. I'm really thankful for that. But you're here at this church, and we have a mission to those whose boat may feel rocky. We have various goals in our strategic planning about discipleship and mission and community and uh, the renewal of our space. You can't read that, but you've, uh, you've, you've, many of you have seen this before. But in our mission goal, where we reached the lost, the first one is the homeless. I want to talk about why in this message. Our city care ministry is a 10-year-old ministry to the homeless. It began because homeless people were knocking on our door at the office, and uh, I didn't know, we didn't know what to give to them. You know, I, I sort of learnt in New York through listening to those who were heavily involved with the homeless. By listening to them, I realised the answer wasn't money, not without considering their particular circumstances. I knew that. But what was it? Coffee with three sugars? It's always three sugars. Is it a cheese sandwich from the white bread in the fridge? What was it? Our then 6pm crowd um, got together and said we should be reaching this group, and so I invited Anglicare in for a bit of consult, consulting, and they did a sort of simulation about what it felt like to be homeless, but these 6pmers sort of threw away their tins of sardine and their crackers, and they said, why don't we have them over for lunch and build trust with them? That's been going now for 10 or more years. Its basic form is... Six lunches a year, this is from the bell tower, from the last city care lunch, followed by six sharper, evangelist, evangelistically sharper, Bible and breakfasts, and uh, Paul White began, and uh, Steve uh, Bradford and I continue, a weekly community group, a Bible study for uh, these friends of ours. The intention of the Wednesday group meets 6 to 7.30 p.m., they eat Thai food and read the Bible, it's very simple. 
Um, the intention is that that community can be on mission to itself, because uh, I recognise my own inadequacies in reaching a different, effectively a different culture group. And it's all very messy, a beautiful mess, a controlled mess, but it's pretty messy at points. One of my favourite conversations many years ago was with a guy who'd been in 22 theatres of war. 22 theatres of war. Yes, he was a mercenary. And yet what got him, what drove him to the streets, was the loss of a wife and a child in a car accident. He said, my child, do you yield? Would you leave the flowers for a crown? That looks neat, by the way. There's some neatness in it and some messiness. So, three points today. Does God care about the downtrodden? Who are the downtrodden? And what does it mean for us? And I wanted to land on this quote, which is very helpful for me, by Tim Keller. He says, the church gathered, that's you coming to church tonight or in a community group, the church gathered has a job to preach the gospel and to do discipleship among each other, to help each other follow Christ. But the church scattered, that's you the moment you leave this building, go to your neighbourhoods, your workplaces, universities, the church scattered has a job, which is to be salt and light in the city and in the world. The church gathered, that's us meeting, or to empower the church scattered, that's you leaving, to do acts of mercy and care. There's a nuance about the mission of the church that's worth pondering. We're going to ponder that quote at the end of this message. And all as a way of fulfilling the verse, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. So does God care about the downtrodden? The answer is yes. Good question, yes. Old and New Testament, Jesus makes the point. Luke 6, verse 17, just read to us. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over who'd come to hear him and be healed from their diseases. They were oppressed. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them. So this is God present. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Some very famous verses. So why does God lift the oppressed? Well, two answers. First, it's in God's being, to love the loveless, to love the loveless, and I'm proof of that. To lift the downtrodden, to fill the hungry, to preach good news to the poor. It's all part of his redeeming the world through our Lord Jesus Christ the first thing. Secondly, if I read the Bible correctly, because being poor, that is being helpless, puts you in the vicinity of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So in some sense, today, you have to identify yourself as poor. It's, Jesus is not saying here, blessed are you if you advocate for the poor, which is a good thing to do. That's not what he's saying. Blessed are you if you're poor. By the way, it's why we baptise infants like little Joshua Nichols. Uh, we baptise adults too. And next Saturday, uh, Russell Blasco, are you here? Not today? He'll be here. He'll be ne next Saturday, he'll be being baptised at a little swimming pool in uh, the rocks on Harrington Street. And if you know Russell, and um, help me. Sorry? Victoria. My brain is full at the end of a Sunday. If you know Russell and Victoria, then you'd like to join us for the baptism, then you're welcome to do so, and we'd invite you to just contact the office so that we can measure how many people are going to turn up to the apartment. 
But we also baptize infants. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you can't get much more meek than a baby. You haven't sort of even been a teenager who sort of figured things out. That's just as as an aside. The passage here, commonly called the Beatitudes, is Jesus picking up on Luke, on Isaiah 61, of the servant mentioned in Isaiah but not named. Isaiah 61, the prophet says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is about Jesus. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to comfort all who mourn. Clearly, God cares. Had a guy who almost, but he walked away from the faith because he said God only notices big things. He doesn't notice little things. It's tragic to walk away from God for such a reason. What if we drunk in this truth? Or in Psalm 146, just read to us, God upholds the cause of the oppressed, sets the prisoner free, lifts up those who are bowed down, watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow, and we join him. Perhaps the psalmist is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 10. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And he commands Israel to follow his lead. In Zechariah 7, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner or the poor. And famously in Micah chapter 6, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And if you think that's just a sort of blank check for an atheist humanitarian agenda, then you are sorely mistaken. What does the Lord require of you? He requires you to walk humbly with him, and in doing so, to act justly and to love mercy. The implication in Isaiah is if you walk with God, humbly with him, then you'll be walking his way, and acting justly and loving mercy. And Jesus is saying, that blessing is here now. Uh, We tend to think, oh well, you know, God cares for the poor, and so we should vote for the governments that will care for the poor. But that is utterly unknown in Jesus' time. Utterly foreign to the life of Jesus. No sense in which that's true. And I'm very thankful for the last hundred years or three hundred years or even a thousand years if you consider the Magna Carta and other other various reforms over time whereby the government can make things favorable for workers and for for rough sleepers and for people needing housing and I'm very thankful for all of that but that's not what Jesus is saying here Jesus is saying that blessing is here now in my arrival that the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, they can all be blessed, loved, free and happy in me because of what future I have prepared for them. Does he care? Yes, he does. Secondly, who are the downtrodden? Well, the context of the Beatitudes is that Jesus gave this word to Israel. That's the context. And many in Israel know that they had sinned, resulting in a homeless state, it's called exile, and it continued in the life of Jesus with the oppression of the Roman Empire. And they were poor in spirit, not just for themselves, but for the nation they were in. 
and they were hungry for righteousness, desperate to see God enthroned as king, to see the kingdom come and see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And because Jesus' context in the Beatitudes is the Jewish scriptures of old, then according to Jesus, that set are the blessed ones. They are the downtrodden for whom the kingdom of God awaits. Now, the categories in the Beatitudes are all used in the Old Testament to describe someone who laments sin and suffering and understands the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, foreigner. They, it's a package, right? They understand the oppression that has come through the just hand of God's judgment in exile. And they're hungry for God to do something about it. They call it salvation. And Jesus is saying to the hungry, the poor, the stateless, to the faithful, pure heart, Israelite, simply desperate for God to come, your time is now. You are blessed. You are. And not the rest, those who think that here and now is all that matters. That's why Jesus goes on and says, not the rich, not those who are well-fed now, not those who laugh now, who say, I've got everything, don't need God. And even those with great reputations, it's not, it's not, the kingdom of God is not for you. Um, blessed, rather, are those who are persecuted for righteousness, who don't just cave because the world around them says it, but who speak God's word faithfully. Now, why is this important? Well, blessed are you if you've come to terms with the grievous nature of your own sin, the suffering and sin of those around you, and the world sweltering under heat of injustice, You've realized your need. You've recognized the need in the world. You're hungry for a change of heart, personally, locally, globally. Does this describe you? Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. And so clearly, the poor aren't simply those who are financially poor, although they often are, it's those who are spiritually poor. King David writes in Psalm 40, For as for me, I am poor and needy. Now, he wasn't poor. But he says, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You, God, are my help, my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. It's that famous psalm where King David says, you lifted me up out of the mire, out of the mud, and you put my feet on a rock. You lifted me out and you gave me a new song of praise to my God. Why is this important? Because in our city care ministries, we do not want an us and them mentality. Fortunate and unfortunate, that's not us. Blessed and those who hope were blessed, that's not us. Those who stand and those who can advocate, although advocacy is good and right and righteous, that's not what we're talking about with the city care lunch. We often think of the homeless as without a home, but there are plenty of people with lovely homes who are spiritually homeless. We think of the homeless as poor, but there are plenty of people with lots of dollars who are deeply poor. There are people who are deeply rich for whom the only word that one might have is destitute morally or spiritually and so in a very fundamental way i am the poor one and in saying so we are them there is no them there's just us because in the bible the word poor has a financial meaning no doubt but not just a financial meaning and so our start with the city care ministries are we are the same as them we're family in many ways Look, I know the word brothers and sisters belongs to those who are in Christ, and there are many people who join our ministries who are far from Christ. I know that's true. 
But maybe in this circumstance, it might be worth saying that we're brothers sitting at the table, all with need, all with suffering, all with sin, all with need. You know the phrase, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's a city care ministry all over. But it's not, a soup, it's not about bread. It's about Jesus. It's not a soup kitchen. I wince when I hear the idea that we're just providing food. You ask them and they can say, there are three places I could go to for lunch today and they can do that every day. Now, I like the fact that some of them say, but the food is better here. I'll accept that. It's about a feast. But it's not about that. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus and it's about trust. It's about sitting with people like us, family. Now, what does this mean for us at Churchill and for the City Care Ministries? What will remembering the poor look like for us? Well, I've got three C's. I rarely do this. Three C's. Actually, I've got a fourth, but I thought of the fourth too late to get up on the screen, like the creed. (laughs) The first thing it means for us is becoming a Christian a follower of Jesus Christ. If you thought this message was going to mean something like, there are people out there who need my help and I'm going to give it to them, then you're sorely mistaken. This message is about us first becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, recognising our poverty. You know when you get on an airline and you ignore the safety procedures, but they say, if in the event of an emergency, a mask will drop from the ceiling... Fix your own mask first before fixing the mask of a child, someone vulnerable. That's counterintuitive because you think they're vulnerable. Fix your own mask first. And I say that to you tonight. Get right with God. Pray with one of us. Pray with Tiffany or uh, Hughes. Anyone who wants to pray with you. Up at the back after the service today. You who can identify a poverty of spirit. G.K. Chesterton was famously asked by Time magazine to write an essay, What is Wrong with the World? And instead of a long essay of, you know, government and, you know, hamstrunging unions and and, uh, education, and he simply wrote, what's wrong with the world? He simply wrote, dear sir, I am. What's wrong with the world? So if you think that we are in the privileged position and others are poor needing our help, if the phrase, I want to help those less fortunate than myself, rolls off your tongue too easily, I understand the phrase and it's it's a good one, but if it rolls off the tongue too easily, then surely we are in danger of creating an us and them divide. Those more fortunate, me, and I consider myself in that category, those more fortunate and those less fortunate. We're not having it here. We're not going to have it here because how do you know? How do you know that you're in that category? I used to love being on a New York subway and you'd see all the Goldman Sachs workers and the Lehman Brothers before it all crashed going off to work and I not once could judge, didn't judge their souls because I couldn't judge their souls. How could I judge their souls? So why would I judge their souls? But I look at them off going to work, and I'd see sitting opposite me a Hispanic woman or an African-American man in pretty shabby clothes with a Bible open, unashamed, flicking through it with um, 
all those crazy marks all over it. Now I think to myself, who are the blessed ones here? It's not immediately obvious. And that's because physical wealth is not the only wealth and financial poverty is not the only poverty. Mother Teresa said this. She said, the worst poverty of all is to be lonely. And you can be very wealthy and have that poverty. So the gospel starts with you being unhappy about the way things are and thirsty for God to change things. And the Beatitudes capture it perfectly. One author wrote this of the Beatitudes. This process of surrender, this movement of full speed astern, is what Christians call repentance. Not full steam ahead, which is self-help, looking ahead with positivity, it's all coming my way, but full steam astern, which is effectively turning your boat around and looking to Jesus. After all, we have David's own voice, I am poor and needy. Firstly, it'll mean being Christian. Secondly, it'll mean, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, to people proud and rich, he says, for you know the grace, there's the word, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though Jesus was rich, yet for our sake he became poor on the cross, so that through his poverty on the cross, you might become rich. The implication there is you weren't rich before he came. So it'll mean being Christian. It'll also mean being counter-cultural. It's natural for us to think blessed are the strong in heart, the confident, those who take care of themselves, those people who are, those people who are correct, positive types. And you know, there are Christian churches that build ministries on that sort of thinking. But Jesus gives us the opposite mode. In the gospel, Jesus becomes the poor and yet has received ultimate comfort in resurrection and in Christ, we follow him to the tomb and out again. Jesus chose meekness. He said, the meek shall inherit the earth. He chose meekness, and he is the inheritor of the earth. And so we need to think counterculturally. You know how the eye works? I don't really. And someone will tell me I'm wrong, but you've got a vision in front of you. And as that vision comes and meets your eye and moves through your eyeball, it reverses on the retina, the back of your eyeball. And it turns the image you see in front of you upside down, your eyeball. And as I understand it, your brain flips it. So everything you see is upside down, but your brain flips it so you see it the right way up. Well, for so long in a fallen world, we've seen things one way. The winners win, the losers lose. But we need the mind of Christ my Saviour the one who writes things up. I've been thinking about uh, humanitarianism and as important as it is, and it is important, and as complex as humanitarianism is, and it is complex, and people who are in the field will tell you it's complex. With humanitarianism, in an atheist world, there is no imperative to join it. It's always going to be optional. People might think it's not optional, but it is optional. People don't have to join you if there's no imperative to join. And so if you're into a humanitarianism, then the temptation is to browbeat people into it, to tell people you know and they don't know and they should join your cause. And we have a word for it. It's called being woke. It's a current word for it. But what I'm talking about here is not mere humanitarianism, although it has echoes of it. I'm talking about something divine, I'm talking about something from God, where God says, be like me, 
head downward. Look for the need. Notice it and be present where it's there. Respond. And because it's divine, it's not optional, but required. And because it's required, I will not browbeat. I will simply invite, although Christians have been known to browbeat. May we be spared such behaviour. So we need to be committed. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow. The gospel is for everyone, but Jesus had a downward trajectory. And that's why it's the first of our mission goals. Home was first, and then others. But now in him we go to a hurting world because God goes to a hurting world. And we need to be committed to noticing, to seeing where the needs are and meeting them as we are able. And it's challenging for some of us because we can't see or we don't know how to act or we don't know the first steps. We're offering you a first step in six lunches a year. Maybe the Bible and breakfast if you're free on Tuesday mornings. Or you could even join us on Wednesday evenings if you've got the time free and you'd like to join us. But we need to be committed in order to follow Jesus because when the inclination is to take, we need to give like Jesus. When it's to hurt, we need to heal like Jesus. When the inclination is to walk away, and it is with this messy crowd of people like Jesus, we need to stay right there. When the inclination is to self-preservation, we choose the cross and it will cost. But we need to, fourth, be careful too, for our job as a church is discipleship, Bible teaching and evangelism. But I've heard those three things, discipleship, Bible teaching and evangelism. Community. I've heard that used as a way of avoiding the call to care for the poor. I won't have it because Jesus won't have it. And I think Tim Keller nails it when he says the church gathered has a job to preach the gospel and to do discipleship. That's what we're here for. But we're here to do something for you as you leave. The church scattered has a job to be salt and light in the city and in the world. The church gathered or to empower the church scattered to do acts of mercy and care. It's why we run a city care lunch six times a year. I think that's what we can manage, quite frankly. And, and it also, because it's not just about food and about developing trust, there's something quite good about the six time, the intermittent and regular nature of it. But it's the reason we don't turn that building, for example, into, a, uh, into a, uh, an employment agency, a sort of job-ready outfit. It's not our job. Although it is the job of others, and you might be a part of that if you see a need and can go and help it. It's one of the reasons why we have church, and then we've had the rise of the parachurch, who works alongside the church to capture people who are scattered, the church scattered, from different churches into a ministry like well, the city care ministry is ours, but into a ministry like uh, Compassion or the International Justice Ministry or, or anything you do in the world. To be salt and light in it. See, there's a nuance there, he says, about the mission of the church that is worth pondering. But with the city care ministries, we'd love you to turn up June 19 and serve, put it in your calendar. Emma will be here if she's not here already. She'd love to talk to you about it. Speak to the women there. They're amazing. Speak to the men. They're amazing. But if you can't come because you've worked out that you've got other priorities and other things that the Lord has laid on your heart, small or large, is there such a thing as small? Probably not. There's just love. But there's other ways to support the City Care Ministries, which is to give to it, to pray about it, to support it, and to talk about it with your neighbours. People are astounded when they hear about it. 
we might be able to do more and certainly replicating it in other churches and we've got a job at out for one day a week. And maybe this is you, by the way, that you can carve out a day of your week to really lead this ministry as we move forward. Uh, we've got a grant from the diocese to do just this. We might be able to do more, but if we do more, we risk the f losing focus. The church gathered is not the church scattered. We want the church scattered to change the world. Little things you notice and the care and the presence you give. Or large world-changing things. Talk to Penny and Doug Abdeel from 1030 about their incredible work with New Australians. Talk to Penny and Brad Alden, who have retired and Lord's laid it on their heart. They're going to, as you know from two weeks ago, going to north, the northern part of Papua New Guinea in preaching, healing and teaching. Peter Trent, our treasurer, is on the board of World Vision. Talk to him about that. There are many of us who sponsor children through compassion. Anglican Aid, about caring for those around the world. There's a group called the Diamond Women Support Group that cares for mothers who find themselves pregnant and are looking for options. Uh, there's many more like this, church scattered. And we do all this because all I asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Let's pray. Father, each of us has abilities and capacities and uh, we're in different stages of life uh, with different health. Um, but each of us can, in the power of your spirit, notice when there's a need and be present when it's possible. So help us to be present when it's possible. Help us to be the answer to the prayer of those who are hurting or in any kind of trouble, sorrow, needs, sickness, or any other adversity. We pray especially for our city care ministries. May they grow and flourish as we reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, present with them. May you find the right person for a day a week to really lead this ministry. Pray that you bring the right person to us. And we pray that we might begin to see the world changed because of simple acts of kindness done in the Lord's name and in his power. We pray this in his name. Amen.